Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Today it is April 29. We are firmly into the stretch run of college baseball's regular season. And over at BaseballAmerica.com, there's a whole new top 25 uh, that you can go check out. And UCLA remains number one. This is the seventh straight week UCLA has remained number one in the top 25. Stanford, again, follows at number two. Uh, Vanderbilt moves up to number three. They're your new SEC leader. I suppose they're tied with Arkansas, who's number five. Sandwiched between the SEC division leaders is Oregon State, which remains at number four. Uh, Mississippi State is up to six after a big sweep of Georgia. Louisville remains at seven. They continue to be your ACC leaders. And from there, I would encourage you to check out the rest of the top 25 over at BaseballAmerica.com. I will also tell you that we have three new teams in the top 25. They are Miami, Missouri, and BYU. We will get to all of that. We'll, we'll get to the, these new teams. We'll get to how uh, we got here this week uh, in a minute. But I want to welcome in Dave Serrano and Joe Healy to the podcast. How's it going, guys? Glad to be back, Teddy. Hey, Teddy. Happy to be here. Ready to get going. All righty. So this week around college baseball, especially in the, the Big 12 and the SEC, it was sweeps week. We had several sweeps in the SEC alone. There were... I think it was five of the SEC series ended in sweeps. The Big 12 saw a couple of, of big sweeps with uh, Baylor and Texas Tech, uh, both sweeping series, and those are your top two teams in the Big 12 standings right now after those sweeps. Um, I don't know. I, there, there were other sweeps around the country as well. UCLA swept Utah, for instance. Oregon State swept Washington State. Those are maybe a little less unexpected. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of what we think is going to happen when the top teams play the bottom. But for the SEC to have been so sweep heavy this weekend and for the, the Big 12 where Texas Tech swept Oklahoma State and Baylor went on the road to sweep TCU. I mean, that, that those were pretty unexpected. That That's not what you expect to see during conference play, especially. Uh, so what what do we make of all of those sweeps in those conferences last weekend? And is winning on the road that hard in college baseball right now? Because with the exception of Baylor, every team that swept this weekend was doing it at home in those two leagues. So, Dave, is winning on the road that hard right now in college baseball? Well, I, I think it, it, it kind of goes off of the conference you're in. And obviously, if you're in a, in a conference like the SEC or in, in some atmospheres, the Big 12, and in some atmospheres, the ACC – so we, uh, you know, winning on the road is difficult uh, because it, you're going into such a hostile environment. Uh, the sweeps that happened this weekend, you know, you had, uh, you'd put out who impacted the most from them. I'm not so sure. I, I know the teams that all swept impacted were, were impacted in a positive way, but I think it's the teams that got swept that are impacted in the negative way. It's just, you just can't get swept, whether you're at home or on the road, you can't get swept. Um, as you're building toward your resume and as you're trying to build towards getting as high as you can in your conference. And I thought Todd Walker on the SEC network had a great comment in yesterday's game that was televised with Tennessee and Arkansas that saw Arkansas sweep Tennessee. And he said, you just have to win a game a weekend, especially in the SEC and, and win a couple series and you put yourself in the mix of getting to the tournament. And 
I, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You just have to prevent being swept. And, you know, on the road, going back to your question, yes, I think it is harder to win on the road in, in the big atmospheres that you play in. Um, when, these crowd, when the team gets the momentum, the crowd gets the momentum going for them at times. And it is difficult to win in those situations. But if you're going to be a national champion contender, you've got to find ways to get past that and get at least a victory. And sometimes you come out on top, like what Baylor did this weekend. They go into TCU, and I'm sure the atmosphere at TCU isn't as as rambunctious as it is at times when they're rolling. But still, they went on the road, and they, they swept a huge series against TCU, which is huge for them and puts a huge dent into TCU's postseason chances from here on out. I, I, I kind of think of it this way. I mean, when, it, when, a, when, when Team A is significantly more talented or better or just plays significantly better than Team B, Team A is going to win that series or sweep that series kind of regardless of where it's played. Um, but what we've had a lot this season, I think we can kind of all agree, and we've talked about this a lot, over the the entirety of the season that there's just a little more parity this year. There's not the dominant teams at the top, I guess, outside of, of UCLA and Stanford, but we're setting the Pac-12 aside for this conversation. So when it's a flatter landscape and there's just more toss-up series, I think home field just ends up kind of being a tiebreaker. Or if you've got two teams that both have flaws, you know, both have some things going for them, uh, both play reasonably well, but both make some mistakes, I think that home field ends up being... Uh, the thing that can kind of determine a series, and I think that's kind of what we're seeing here, where you know the home teams just kind of have that little extra edge that puts them over the top, and that's how you end up with a with a weekend full of sweeps. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess ultimately it, it just is a it feels very strange. It feels like we have some teams that are yo-yoing right now. We had Mississippi State just a week ago getting swept at Arkansas, and then coming home to Starkville and sweeping Georgia, which came in as the number three team in the country and the SEC East leader, and. and you know, you, you have Ole Miss, which has been all over the map. Like it, it, they, they really struggle to strain momentum together from weekend to weekend. They come up with a, a top 10 sweep against Texas A&M, and uh, suddenly Ole Miss is back into the hosting conversation. And, uh, you know, you, you look at it in the Big uh, 12 with Oklahoma State going to Lubbock and, and getting swept. That probably killed the Cowboys hosting chances unless they – you know, really finish strong. They do have uh, a series at Corvallis coming up this weekend, but uh, you know, if they don't win that, they're they're going to be in. They're probably going to be done as hosts. And so, I at the back of the the hosting uh, you know list, we have these sweeps are really impacting a lot of things. And when when you look at the at the top eight seed potential, like those teams for the most part are not getting swept. Georgia. And Mississippi State probably are both still firmly in that mix. They definitely are. But you know, you look at Arkansas, you look at Vanderbilt, you look at Georgia. They all have winning records on the road. You know, pretty pretty strong winning records on the road, as does Louisville in the ACC. And then some of these other teams, you know, Texas Tech is 500 on the road, under 500 actually, just away from Lubbock. If you're on neutral sites, LSU well under 500 on the road, North Carolina under 500 on the road, A&M under 500 on the road. And these are all teams that are, you know, trying to, to lock down some of these last week host spots. And if they just win a couple more road games, if they just avoid getting swept, uh, they would be in a much better position as they, as they look towards that. I guess right now, what, what do you see 
Dave mentioned that, uh, you know, that these sweeps are most significant for the teams getting swept. And, you know, like you mentioned, TCU probably just got swept out of the NCAA tournament. You know, Tennessee took a real hit this weekend. They go from nine and nine in the SEC to all of a sudden they're nine and 12 and they're going to be fighting to, to get back to 500 probably the rest of the way. But from the teams that won in the SEC or swept this weekend in the SEC, that's Arkansas sweeping Tennessee, Mississippi State sweeping Georgia, Mizzou sweeping South Carolina, Ole Miss sweeping A&M, and Vanderbilt sweeping Auburn. Which one of those stood out as, as the most for you or, or, or do you feel like is the most meaningful for those teams? Well, I, I think just looking at the big picture, I think Arkansas probably solidified a home regional out of the sweep. I think Mississippi State has almost solidified one now. Vanderbilt obviously has two. I think out of the whole big picture of the SEC, and that's what we're talking about right now, I think probably Missouri taking care of business at home against South Carolina and Ole Miss sweeping Texas A&M probably will have the biggest impact on those two programs as they go farther into the season. I don't know if either one of them right now are in the hosting talk, but I think it just gives them a better seed as we go farther into it. I, but I, I think that those two out of the other three are kind of already set in, set in pretty good. Mississippi state needed it after the previous weekend, but I think Missouri where they put themselves now at 10, 10 and one third in, in the East, I think that helped them, and I think it helped Ms. Uh, Ole Miss, who, like you said, has been a yo-yo. Going back real quick, and I don't want to be long, talk too long, but going back to as my days as a coach, I always felt that there was a couple things that were very impressive to me, <clears throat> and that was Baylor's big blood on Saturday and Arkansas's big blood on Saturday, and they come back and they win the Sunday game. That was always the scary thing for me as a coach is – when I was on that side of the ball, mostly when I was at Fullerton and Irvine, you always worried about your team's mindset going into Sunday. They th- if they thought it was going to be easy again. And both those teams took care of business on Sunday, Baylor with another blowout on Sunday. And I always felt, and I learned this from Coach Horton when I worked under him, and we talked about this at all every stop I was at, Sunday was always attitude day. And I felt no matter who was the better team, who had more talent, the team that showed up with the best attitude a lot of times came out victorious because it's usually the Sunday starters, so it's going to be kind of a slugfest. It's a long weekend, whether you're at home or you're on the road. It's getaway day if you're on the road. It was the team that showed up with the best attitude that was usually going to come out on top. So when I look at Sunday scores, that's what I always kind of look at is, is the attitude team most of the time won that game on, to close out the weekend. So I, I kind of will echo what, what Dave said. I mean, I think Ole Miss and, and Mizzou were the two most impactful. And, and I think of it this way, where I think you get the most value at. Obviously, if you don't get in the tournament, that's, you know, you want to get into the tournament. That gives you the best chance to win a national title because uh, breaking news, if you don't get in the tournament, you can't. I don't know if you guys know that. You can't win the national title if you don't get in the um, But beyond that, no, I think no there's... No NIT in baseball. That's right. That's right. Exactly. So I think it's there's just it's kind of like how they say in the MLB playoffs, you know, you just push for that playoff spot because once you get into the, into the postseason, uh, anything can happen. And I feel the same way kind of with hosting. I think there's a, a larger percentage value add, um, that goes from, 
not hosting to hosting than anything else versus going from hosting to a national seed. Um, because once you're a national seed, like, yes, it's nice to be protected for those two rounds and play at home, but so much can happen in a regional that if you're, if you're hosting, well, you're in a position where if that national seed across from you gets upset, well, all of a sudden now you're at home. So there's always that opportunity. But so I think Ole Miss really helped themselves from a hosting perspective. And I think it's a team that is going to benefit greatly from hosting if they can do so, just because they're a team that, that needs to kind of stay on schedule pitching wise. Their starting pitching has been pretty up and down this, this season and last weekend it was really good. Um, but because it's a little bit variable in that way, I think it's important for them to end up hosting when it's all said and done. So I think that was a, a big deal for them to get back into that hosting conversation. Um, because I just think it, that's going to be their best path to challenging to get to Omaha. And Mizzou is big too. I mean, because they do have to get into the tournament and, and you know, if they had just won two out of three in that South Carolina series and they were down in, in the finale, I think it was five to two at one point, it might've been worse than that. I'm not sure. But um, when I saw it, it was five to two. And so they really uh, did a nice job coming back to finish off that sweep. If they hadn't done that, it puts them in a situation where they've got three series left, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, and Florida, where they probably, if they had not swept, had to go six and three in those nine games to feel pretty good about things. Of course, with the SEC tournament still providing opportunities in front of them, but now they just need to go five and four. Um, and obviously Vanderbilt's going to be a real tough ask. Um, you know, Tennessee's going to be a team desperate to get some wins. That's not going to be easy. And that never was going to be easy. And then Florida last week in the season could be playing for the lives too. So I think it's just a really tough existence from Mizzou the rest of the way. So just that one more game in the standings w was huge for them. So um, it wouldn't have, had they not done it, it wouldn't have put a, a nail in any sort of coffin for them. But I think it's just made their path a little bit easier. Yeah, I think those are good points all the way around. I uh, generally probably agree that Ole Miss had the the most important sweep. Uh, obviously, Missouri, like Joe's saying there, with uh, just getting into the tournament, you can't uh, underestimate just the importance of, of adding that extra win as they try and get to 15 SEC wins uh, on the on the year. But I I'm going to make the case for Mississippi State just just for a little bit of, of variation here. I, I think that you know when you're looking at what the Bulldogs were at coming into where they were coming into the weekend having just been swept by arkansas uh you know they're, they're sitting at that point at 10 and 8 in the sec they're staring at a, a schedule that still has georgia a&m ole miss and south carolina on it and we talked about last week how that actually set up fairly advantageously for them we felt like but it still was going to be challenging and in last week's field of 64 projection uh they dropped out of the the top eight seeds uh, just barely, but they did drop out of that. And while they have a decent road record, they, this is a team that plays way, way better at home. And you know they're 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 five and five on the road, which is okay. But you know they're they're twenty eight and four at the new dude, and playing in that atmosphere in a regional and in a super regional is going to be majorly advantageous uh, to them because you know that the teams that are coming in there are not going to have experienced 13,000 Mississippi state fans and all the cowbells and, and everything that comes along with playing uh, in the postseason in Starkville. So I think that what they were able to do pushes them back into that top eight seed uh, right now. I mean, their, their RPI is up to five after going four. No last week, you throw in the, the win, uh, at, in Pearl and the Governor's Cup against Ole Miss, and, and it was a, a fantastic week for Mississippi State. And uh, you start looking at it now, and I mean, yeah, they have these back-to-back -back road series coming up against AM and Ole Miss, but 
now they have a little bit of breathing room here uh, with them having that that gaudy RPI and, and being up to 13 and eight in the SEC uh, with the series at South Carolina to close it out. So I, I feel like the Bulldogs really made a statement this weekend, uh, and it was a needed one after getting swept at Arkansas and Baum just a week ago. Uh, before we move on a little bit here, I, I wanted to also mention the Big 12. You know, the, the top two teams there right now are Texas Tech and Baylor. That's coming off of sweeps, like I mentioned. Baylor now has a game-and-a-half lead on Texas Tech. The Bears really uh, have been impressive uh, in Big 12 play this season. Just done a great job bouncing back from some injuries. Dave, I know I'm stealing from your shout-out again this week, but what, uh, what, when, when we look at, at what the Bears have been able to do, what they were able to do on the road this weekend, what kind of stands out to you about the Bears? Well, I, I think just consistency. I think Steve Rodriguez has done a great job of keeping that team. I saw it last year coming. I, I really thought when we played them last year, I thought they were a team that had a chance, depending on where they got seated and what regional they went to, that had a chance to, to maybe get to Omaha. They fell short. And I really thought coming into this year that if they stayed injury-free, which hasn't been the case, they'd make a run. And I – I go back to the injury free. They've had some major injuries and they're still at the top of the big 12. And they're a team that's going to, that someone's going to have to, you know, be reckoned with throughout the, the playoffs. I just think he's done a great job. I, I, he's done a very good job of cons- they're playing consistent baseball. They've had their, their, their bleeps along the way, but I mean, they've just, they've taken care of business and they just keep trucking along, trucking along. And, you know, again, we, we, I don't want to continue to, to pounce on it, but obviously TCU's not having the year that they are accustomed to having, but to go on the road and, and sweep them and, and not just sweep them. I mean, go, you know, sweep them going away. I think they outscored them by 27 runs. The last game was uh, shortened. It's just amazing feat with, 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 what Steve coach Rodriguez has done and his coaching staff uh, uh, to continue to take that team to, to great heights in that program. Joe, they have six games left, Baylor and, and Texas Tech, in, in the Big 12. They both have a finals break coming up here uh, in a couple weeks. For Baylor, the remaining schedule in the Big 12 is home against Kansas State and then at Oklahoma State. Texas Tech is at Oklahoma and then home to TCU to close it out. They are chasing the Bears by a game and a half. Texas Tech just won the series in Lubbock a weekend ago, but did Baylor call game this weekend? Yeah, I think so. Uh, just because, uh, you know, I think that those remaining schedules are pretty comparable. If you, you know, it's going to be crazy to say that K-State and TCU are kind of on equal footing, but K-State's been playing a lot better of late. Uh, TCU has been fading. And then I think Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are fairly comparable. And I think they're both solidly regional teams um, who've kind of come in and out of the top 25 at different weeks. So I think we, we have a good feel for what they are. Just just very good but not great teams. They're both going to be in the postseason. So I think those are both kind of, um, you know, I think uh, they're, they're both going to look to kind of go four and two in those six games. And I just think a game and a half is, is a lot to overcome. And, and Texas Tech has looked like the team that we thought they would be coming into the season the last few weeks. And that's great news for them. I mean, look, would they love to win the Big 12 regular season? Yes, absolutely. I'm sure they that's something that they want. That's one of their goals. But if they can win enough games to get themselves into the hosting position, they host a regional, that's really all that ends up mattering is putting yourself in the best position to win a national title. 
and you know they would still that is still an opportunity in front of them. So I don't think they'll necessarily be shedding any tears over it. Um, but for Baylor, I think it's a it's 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 a great thing just because for one it, it kind of is a, a a neat thing for Steve Rodriguez and that team to have dealt with so much of that adversity that Dave alluded to and win a Big 12 regular season title. And I also think it's a part of their hosting uh, resume. I mean, their their RPI is up to 22 as it stands right now, which is in that neighborhood, but it, it would probably need to be a couple ticks higher for them to feel comfortable about it, but maybe not if they do end up winning that Big 12 regular season title. So, I, you know, we had the conversation a couple weeks ago about who it means, uh, at least I think we had this conversation on the podcast about, you know, um, you know who it would mean more to to win the Big 12 title or, or something along those lines. And I think that was the argument that I made is that, you know, uh, Baylor kind of needs it for the resume, whereas Texas Tech maybe not quite so much. You know, in, in this conversation about all these sweeps uh, last night when we were talking through the top 25, uh, Dave brought up a question that I want to open back up so that, that you, the listeners, can, can hear kind of where we went with this. But Dave asked, is college baseball down this year? And I guess the the genesis of that question is that you know there are so many teams that are going up and down there are all these sweeps we're not used to seeing that some of these series just haven't been as competitive you know as as you'd expect now not all sweeps are equal Ole Miss swept A&M yes but they walked off the Aggies twice so you know that that was an exciting series it just happened to go down as a sweep uh, whereas, you know, Baylor, like Dave alluded to, ran away and hid from, from TCU. Ultimately, it was a close-ish game on Friday night, and then they blew them out the next two days. But you know, when, when we look at this, I, the, the, the matter of is college baseball down, for me, I, I think that the absence of elite teams truly clearly elite teams like we had the last couple of years with Florida and Oregon state, especially is, is kind of what we're reacting to there. UCLA is really, really good. I don't want to take anything away from the Bruins, but you know, they also don't have the, all the first round picks that, that Florida and Oregon state had a year ago. The, the talent is really good in Westwood, but there aren't, you know, Oregon state had three picks in the top 40 last year. Um, Florida had three in the top 35, I want to say. If you go back to their national championship winning team, you add in uh, Fayedo to that. And, and so th- those teams were special teams. I don't know that we have that yet. Maybe this UCLA team still proves that to us. Maybe someone else, maybe this Vanderbilt team or, or Stanford team proves that to us, but they don't have the elite pro talent on these teams. And we can also look at this from a draft perspective. Is is the draft down? Is the college class down? And the answer is the draft overall is down. It's hard for me to say the college class is down when Adley Rutschman and Andrew Vaughn uh, are sitting right there at the top of the class, and you have guys like J.J. Bleday and Hunter Bishop you know, inserting themselves into the top 10 pick discussion with the years they're having. Uh, but at the same time, the college pitching class you know, there, there's nothing like Logan Gilbert or Brady Singer or Jackson Coar or I could run off like 10 names from last year's class that we don't have really those kinds of guys. Lodolo and Manoa are very, very good, but there's not a whole lot behind them right now. So all of that is to, to lead into this question, Dave, what, where, where are you thinking in terms of is college baseball down or not? Well, I think you just alluded to part of it. And I think part of it, you talk to any major league 
scout or anyone involved with Major League Baseball, the junior class of pitchers is definitely thinner than it usually is. You don't see, you know, no disrespect to Alec Manoa and Ladola, those guys are going to be top picks, but usually we see five to 10 to 12 of those guys throughout the country in the junior class or more. It's, it's a little short this year. So I think that's part of it. But then here's the seven, the seven that I think seven staples that I think uh, previous staples that I think makes us kind of question how much is it down? And that's Florida, TCU, Virginia, South Carolina, Cal State Fullerton, and I'll throw Florida State in there. All seven of those programs aren't having their traditional year like we've probably seen over the last 10 seasons or, or more. And usually teams that are notoriously in the top 25, notoriously teams that are hosting, notoriously teams that are bidding for Omaha in June. We may not see any of those teams in Omaha this year. We may not see some of those teams in the regionals. So that might be one of the reasons why I brought that up last night. I, no disrespect to some of the teams that are having great seasons, and there's some turnover, some different programs are starting to win now. But it's some of the kind of like, I'll just say, kind of the dinosaur programs that, that were not traditional. I'll throw Miami in there too, even though they're having a good year. We're not talking about Miami like we were 10 years ago. Um, so it's, I don't know if it's the changing of the guard or, or what it is, but when you, when you take those programs out of the mix of your conversation, programs that have been notorious for being talked about this time of the year and into June, it kind of does change and question where is college baseball. Now, don't get me wrong. It's at a, at a high level right now in regards to popularity, hence the third assistant should have been passed. I'm throwing in my little, my little soapbox on that. But uh, it, it's just different. It's different because we don't see some of those historical programs that we see every year. And that's why maybe I asked that question last night is, has, you know, is it down? I don't, I don't think it's all, I don't think it's down. I think college baseball is still good, but I think going back to it, I don't think there's a dominant team and that's no disrespect to UCLA, Stanford, any of those teams in our top five or 10, but we just, there's not as many of my guests. So I'll throw my, cause I think you guys covered it uh, pr- pretty well. Cause my, my thoughts kind of echo uh, what you guys put forth there. But the other thing I would say is that I think this is something that we, uh, we as, as the college baseball media or college baseball fans out there, just the college baseball community, I think you're just going to have to kind of get used to. I mean, not that there won't be teams go on runs like we've seen from Florida and Oregon State in recent years. I think that will occur, but think about it this way. Uh, You know, Cal State Fullerton's regional streak is in all likelihood done. Um, you know, Miami missed the po- had that long postseason streak, and they missed the last two years. They're back on the horse now to a certain degree, but but that streak came to an end. Um, you know, Dave mentioned TCU going to Omaha four times, and now they're looking at missing a couple years in a row. Uh, Florida State has come closer to missing in recent years than they have ever. I think this is just kind of a new reality in college baseball, and we've talked about you can talk about parity in college baseball a lot of different ways. You can point to look at the teams that that get out of regionals now. Look at the teams that have gotten to Omaha. I mean, for goodness sakes, Kent State and Stony Brook got there in the same year. Um, yeah, exactly. So you can look at it that way. You can look at a, the Big Ten is in a lot of ways a power conference now in, in, in college baseball. Uh, you can point to that success in a lot of ways. So you can talk about parity in a bunch of different angles, but I think one of the ways that you know we haven't talked about as much is just the idea that there are 
probably not going to be any situations like what Mike Martin, not just because of the longevity, but in terms of the high-end success, like that's just probably not something we are ever going to see again. And this is true in all college sports, by the way. UCLA is never going back to the John Wooden era. They're never going to do that again. Um, you know, college football has had a reckoning. I want to say uh, every sport except for college football where right. you're condensed to five teams can win the national title. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. But even then, you've got programs in college football that have kind of had to reckon with the fact that it's not the good old days anymore. Um, so there, there's been a, some kind of shift there, at least in, in college football. But basketball and baseball, it, I just think that's a different era where we're not going to we're not going to see that kind of thing anymore to, to the point where I said, if you would have paused college baseball after Omaha last year and said, OK, everyone stop. Who's the program that you think is probably best set up to do what Florida State has done for the last 40 years, and you would have said probably Florida based on, you know, all the evidence uh, put forth. And, you know, Florida's really going to kind of have to hustle to make sure they get into regionals this year. So that is not a, a lock at this point. So I think that's a good example of just how much parity we have. And um, this is the new normal, I think. Yeah, I guess this invites a conversation that we often have about leagues in that, like, how the flagship program in a league performs really impacts what generally people think of that league in a particular year. So, you know, in the Big West, when you see Fullerton down, the easy thought is that the Big West is down. And like that that's just going to be where most people's minds go because they see a team that isn't Fullerton winning the Big West, and that can't possibly be right. Now, the, that's happening this year, and the Big West is down, and UCSB is really good, but uh, it goes beyond that. But, you know, can college baseball exist without some of these bigger brands? Not exist. Can college baseball, you know, can we wrap our minds around, you know, the, some of these bigger brands not necessarily living up to that? And... Ultimately, I think people will adjust. Uh, you know, USC hasn't been one of the biggest names in college baseball a decade at least. And, you know, I think we've we've all kind of come to terms with that reality that now when you look at the Pac-12, you're not looking for USC to be at the top. You're, you're looking to, for UCLA. You're looking for Stanford. You're looking for Oregon State. And if you told someone 15 years ago that that was, that was what the Pac was going to look like, they would have thought you were crazy. You know, so I, I think... It can happen. That might happen a little more slowly. And it's also going to be strange if some of these teams really struggle to maintain success over an extended period of time. I mean, it, you know, I, I mentioned especially Florida and Oregon State of the last two years. But, you know, it's not that long ago that South Carolina was in three straight finals. You know, Oregon State won back-to-back -back titles not that much longer ago than that. And, and so... I don't know how, you know, without without runs like that, I, I think that that is kind of where this is coming from, is that we don't, we, we reset after last season with, with the big Florida and big Oregon State class moving on, you know, and even the year before with, uh, with that exceptional Louisville group of two years led by Brendan McKay moving on into pro ball. With all of that happening, those cycles happening over the last two years, we didn't really have a team ready to, to take that mantle and run with it. We had all of these teams like kind of just in a couple years stretch. And now we're trying to find that next uh, 
I don't want to say dynasty when these things only last a couple of years, but I mean, that's basically what we're looking at in college baseball these days is your dynasties only last a couple of years. So I, you know, we're looking for that next one. And I guess without that right now, that, that I think is where this, this perception really is, is coming from is that, uh, you know, and, and it doesn't help that UCLA is doing what it's doing in, in an environment, in a media environment where, it's hard to watch UCLA, to be frank. Like, they are not on ESPN week in and week out. They're just a little harder to go watch than Florida was a year ago. And so I, I think that, I, I I think that, that hurts. Daddy. I agree with that completely, that comment right there. They're, they've been our number one team for seven weeks. And I'm good friends with John Savage. I'm a peer of John Savage. I'm from Southern California. And I see them on paper that they're a good team, and I've complimented them that they're a, they're a complete team. Our number one team in the country, or our number two team on the country, I have never seen with my own eyes by watching them on TV to say, whoa, that, that is a good team. And so I think that you are right about that, 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 uh, that we're not that, – that could be one of the reasons why this subject came up, is that some of the best teams are not even known throughout the – the Midwest or the, the South or the East around the country. And I think recruiting has a lot to do with this too, with this change. I think, you know, I, I just had, I, I, I won't say what coach it was, but I had a, a conversation with kind of a mid-major coach the other day. And he said, we just, it's harder to recruit now because kids want to flock to one of the power five conferences. So I think that kind of says why some of those teams that we've talked about, the TCUs, the Floridas, the Florida States, that are in those big conferences are maybe down a little bit because are they down or is it just that the other ones are getting better in those conferences now because they're getting more of the players around the country because most of the kids want to flock to the power five conferences. Joe, did my, did my rambling there hit on anything with the, the media attention or, or the TV attention? Really? I shouldn't say media. It's, it's entirely a TV issue. Uh, do, do you think that plays into it that, you know, because, UCLA hasn't been in Omaha the last few years, uh, and they play, I don't want to say in a vacuum, but it's harder to watch them. That, that America, The college baseball viewing public is just less familiar with this specific Bruins team. Yeah, no, I think there's something there for sure, uh, because I think we take for granted how easy it is for the average person, not even the, the college baseball diehard is going to you know, find out how to watch uh, their team's games, whether it's on the, one of the ESPN streaming services or whether it's on some random app they've never heard of, they have to download and figure out or what have you. I think college baseball fans or fans of a certain program are going to figure that out. And, and those fans also know that UCLA's games, just you can't see them when they're, especially when they're at home. So, but for everyone else, I think that, you know, that's, that's just kind of um, something we can do game to game is see these teams. So yeah, I, I think there's there's certainly something there, and it, I think at UCLA in particular because you know Stanford, I've seen some of them because they stream a lot of their games, that, and if they're not protected by the Pac-12 network to where I can't see them, like if it's just on the Stanford stream, I can I can see those games. And sure, it's not quite up to where some of the SEC Network Plus or ACC Network Plus streaming is, but it, but it's something. Um, with UCLA, it's just kind of like a like a streaming black hole in that way, and, and we've talked about that before, so we don't need to fully rehash it. But but yeah, I mean, it doesn't give the average college baseball fan a chance to check in on UCLA and and hear about and hear about this team and learn who exactly Michael Tolia is, 
or to, to look at and see Ryan Garcia throw for themselves. I think that matters. I also think, I mean, we've definitely talked about this before. I think some of this is also that some of the coaches have changed, that college sports, because of the inherent transitory nature of college athletics, these players are only in school for a few years and then they move on. You know, the stars a lot of time in college sports are coaches and college baseball has lost a lot of its stars in the last couple of years, not only on the field, you know, talking about Singer, McKay, you know, guys like that, Madrigal. You also have seen Mark Marquess, you've seen Jim Morris retire. We, we've seen Lane Graham retire, Augie Garrido uh, a few years before those guys. And, you know, when, when, when you have guys like that leaving the game, it does have an effect. And there are, there are definitely coaching stars ready to fill that void. Uh, you know, Kevin O'Sullivan, Dan McDonald, Tim Corbin, Brian O'Connor, those guys are all there, but it, it is a little different. You know, and I think that, you know, when, when you when you lose a guy like Jim Morris, who made so many trips to Omaha, who was Miami for the last 25 years in a lot of respects, uh, I, I think that does have an impact on the overall perception. Um, you know, Gino Damare has been at Miami a long time as an assistant coach, but it's been as an assistant coach. And to think that the the average college baseball fan really has much of a which of a knowledge base on Gino, of course they don't. And, and you know, it, that's going to take some time, uh, you know, to, to rebuild some of this stuff, and uh, especially at some of the, these bigger programs that, that went through changes in recent years. I want to move on to uh, one of the, the actual stars. Uh, I, I feel like I missed an opportunity for a segue there because we do have a, one of the, the – greatest college baseball stars of the moment had a, a huge weekend this this weekend jake mangum mississippi state center fielder who uh right now outside of adley rutschman and andrew vaughn probably is the most famous college baseball player in the country i would guess he became this weekend the sec's all-time hit record he hit can he breaks eddie furnace's record of th with his 353rd career hit on saturday in starkville Furnace's record stood for 21 years, uh, former LSU great. And Jake Mangum now is, is past him. He is 12th all-time um, in the NCAA hit list. He has 10 more regular season games and who knows how many more postseason games to, to add to that. And I was doing some quick math last night. And on his current pace, in those 10 regular season games, he can get up to something like fifth all-time. Uh, on the NCAA leaderboard, and then he has an outside shot, I would say, at 400 hits for his career, which is something only two players, Phil Stevenson and Khalil Green, have ever done before. So uh, I want to just take this moment for a Jake Mangum appreciation. Uh, he has been so good for college baseball. He turned down the draft a couple times to come back to Starkville. Uh, you know, he, he's talked before about, on this podcast, he's talked about uh, why he did that, how much he enjoys playing at Mississippi State, and how much he wants to win a national championship. But, uh, guys, just what uh, what did you think of Jake's accomplishment this weekend, and and, and where does he stand right now, I guess, in uh, in the college baseball elite? I'll say this. I, I actually was watching that when he got the hit, and it made me very happy, not just for him, but for Mississippi State and college baseball, because going back to our – 
I think every coach uh, wishes they had a young man like Jake on their team. Uh, and, you know, we all know the story. Four coaches have had him over four years. And <laughs> what a special what a special young man he is, a player he is. You know, he gets the most out of his, out of his body. You know, he's not the, the biggest guy in the world. You know, Eddie Furness, I was part, I was in the SEC back at Tennessee when Eddie Furness was coming through there, and he was just a monster and a great hitter also. But to see what Jake has done and what he's done, not just for Mississippi State, but for college baseball, you just watch the young man play. He plays hard. He has fun playing the game. And it's just, it's refreshing to see. And I, I hope, I hope that more Jake Magnums come into college baseball. And that's nothing against, there's a lot of great players, a lot of players that play hard, but it's just, it makes the game better overall. And it's just a credit to him uh, just being so resilient and just continue to fight. And it was kind of, you know, he had talked about, he just wanted to get the record beyond him because I could imagine the buildup and all that. And he actually showed more jubilation when he got the hit to tie the record than when he did when he broke the record and um, kudos to him. Uh, just, I think he goes in the name. He gets, he gets in the, on, on the wall with the Rafael Palmeiras and the Will Clarks and all the great players that have come through Mississippi state. His name is right up there with them now. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's when you look at them, if they all stood side by side, you'd go, really, that guy is, is the hit king. <laughs> Of, of all of SEC, and, and that's nothing against Jake. It just goes to show that's what's so beautiful about baseball. The biggest and the strongest aren't always the best, and sometimes it's the bigger heart, the bigger desire, and, and he's definitely been that for four wonderful years at Mississippi State. Yeah, the shout-out first to uh, Dr. Eddie Furness, um, practicing medicine in Nacogdoches, Texas. Shout-out to Nacogdoches, Texas. Oh. Stephen, F., Stephen F. Austin State University, head coach Johnny Cardenas uh, in Nacogdoches. But uh, the thing that's interesting about um, this for me, spring, putting it forward a little bit, is that Mississippi State's got 10 regular season games left, and at a bare minimum, at least a handful of games in the SEC tournament, and then a handful of games in a regional, uh, to where he can really kind of set this mark out where it's going to be really, really tough to break. Um, so if he continues hitting at a pace like he has, um, which is obviously a torrid pace, um, there, there's a chance that this is a record that's going to stand up, uh, you know, longer than where Eddie Furness's record stood up. So I think this is a, kind of a special thing and that I don't think we're necessarily going to see this anytime soon. Yeah. I, uh, Dave, it was interesting. You mentioned, uh, you know, Palmero and Will Clark there and it, at the new stadium in Starkville, they have statues of those two guys outside the home plate entrance and they, you know, it, it's two of them, so they kind of, you know, bookend the entrance. And I am now wondering where the statue of Jake Mangum is going to go. Like, are they going to put a third one there? Is he going to go out in the outfield somewhere? I don't know. But they're they're going to have to do something to honor him uh, before too long. Of course, his, his career is going to have to finish first before uh, they, they put up that statue. But uh, he will... He will live in Mississippi State lore a long, long time. He has definitely earned that. And I was talking with John Cohen uh, when I was in Starkville a few weeks ago about Jake. And, and of course, John Cohen had Mangum uh, just for his, his freshman year. But, but John has, has been in the SEC an awful long time, seen an awful lot of, of hitters. And you know, he was talking about just how hard of a needle it is to thread to be able to break that hits record. And you know, we're seeing it not just with Mangum, who just got it done, but uh, Antoine Duplantis has a shot still to 
to get past Furnace uh, for the LSU record. And the two of them, I mean, you, you just have to, what, what Cohen was saying is you, you have to, you have to come in and you have to hit right away as a freshman. There, there can't be any, any adjustment period, really. You, you, you have to immediately perform. And then you have to continue to perform uh, really for four years. So to do that, you know, that means avoiding a sophomore slump. That means avoiding getting hurt. But it also means avoiding the draft for whatever reason. So it means that you're not quite what pro baseball is looking for. And in Jake's case, that's because he's a little small. Uh, there's some questions about how much impact he makes with the bat. Uh, you know, a lot of these hits are singles, and how is that going to translate is, is kind of the question. Jake is uh, kind of a throwback player in that regard, and, and Duplantis faces many similar questions, I think. And so they have to, they they have there has to be something just a little bit wrong with them from a professional uh, profile standpoint. But they have to be outstanding college players, and they have to want to play college baseball, and, and to be doing that at the level they've done it at for the last four years has been crazy impressive. And in Mangum's case, he didn't even really avoid getting hurt. He spent a large part of his sophomore year hitting with one hand because he was playing with a broken hand. And he still hit more than 300 that year. I mean, just so many things about what Mangum has done are really impressive. And when you look at the way his teams have won, it's really impressive. You know, he is one of the few constants on those teams because again they've had four different head coaches during his career you know there just aren't that many players that overlap through mississippi state's current three straight super regional streak and and you know ultimately he, they capped last year by getting to uh to omaha uh and, and that was a great moment for them uh obviously to, to to finally break through in what had been such a tumultuous season but i ultimately i i just I think a lot of that is a credit to Mangum and, and the example that he sets, you know, for his team and, and, and just the way he goes about his business every day. And if you can't tell, uh, I I really have enjoyed watching Jake Mangum play for, for four years, and I'm going to miss him when he's in pro ball. We're all going to miss him in college baseball because he is such a good uh, example of, of what this game can be and, and has been just such a, a fun player to watch. Uh, anytime you you go to to watch Mississippi State, covered a lot of ground, but we still have three teams that moved into the top 25 this week that I want to uh, kind of address how uh, how they got here. Uh, again, that's uh, Miami, Missouri, and BYU. Uh, Joe, let's start with Miami. Uh, this is a team that is all the way into the top 15 in RPI, number number 11. Excuse me. Um, 31 and 14 overall, 14 and 10 in the ACC. You saw them a week ago at Louisville. How legit are these Canes? So they're certainly legit to the point where they can host, and the, the numbers kind of prove that out. And their remaining schedule, they've got you know Wake and Duke left, which that looks a little bit tougher than it did a month ago, but still two series where where you'd think they'd take the, the Canes would take care of business there. So I think on that level, they're certainly legit. Um, offensively, also uh, really legit. This is the most physical Miami lineup that I think I can remember. I think people might go back to that Zach Collins, Willie Abreu college world series teams and think that might've been a more physical offense, but you know, there was times where Collins and Abreu were made up more than half the team's home runs. Um, this is a team that really kind of has the depth in terms of physicality. I mean, Alex Terrell, 17 home runs. That's, that's, you know, an impressive number there, but I mean, Raymond Gills had a really nice year and Adrian Del Castillo has been a, uh, been a great guy in the lineup for him. Freddie Zamora, Michael Amdidas, uh, you know, finally healthy Michael Amdidas. I've, 
heard that anecdote, and I think I knew this intellectually, but I, I just really hadn't stopped and thought about it. The fact that, you know, this is really Michael Amdidas's longest stretch of health since like his junior year of high school because he was hurt senior year of high school then his you know his first couple of years at, at Miami have been injury plagued as well and, and he's swinging the bat pretty well for him so uh you know they've got like a guy like Gabe Rivera has as much maybe as much raw power outside of Terrell as anybody on the team and, and they just don't really necessarily have the at-bats for him so I really like what they have offensively and and, and like I said I think it's the best that, that I can remember where there are concerns that were on the mound that's what makes hosting so important because like I mentioned with Ole Miss earlier I just don't know if it's a team that can afford to get off schedule. Uh, they've had some injury issues. You know, I was there when Evan McKendry left early in his in his start with Louisville, and he did not start this past weekend. Chris McMahon has missed a couple starts, and so they are really kind of paper thin on the mound right now. But the good news is um, they've held it together. I mean, Brian Van Bell's just a, a really good battler on the mound. He's been their Sunday guy primarily, and and he's just really been really steady every week and giving them a chance to win every week, which is, uh, you know, really all you can ask for out of that typical Sunday guy. And Slate Ciccone, the, the highly touted freshman, has taken some steps forward, and he, and he was good this past weekend. So, you know, they, they've started to kind of patch it together with those guys. And they, they turned to Tyler Kaiser uh, this past weekend, and, and he got the job done for them. You just wonder how much, how, you know, how long they can expect to be able to kind of piece it together that way because, you know, what happens is it kind of makes their, their bullpen a little bit thinner. And, and while a guy like Daniel, Daniel Fetterman, for example, um, has been really, really consistent for them this season. There just really isn't that bullpen depth beyond uh, the first couple guys out there. So I've got concerns about the pitching, um, but I think should they get into a regional and host it, I, I would still like their chances to come out of it just because they are really offensive. Um, and you know, and, and full disclosure, I don't know the extent of the injuries with McMahon and, and McKendry and kind of their prognosis moving forward. And certainly, if those guys come back, it puts them in a lot better shape. But but I think this is a team that's in good shape to host. I think it's a team that can make some noise and it's certainly not a team that you want to see if you yourself are feeling a little bit thin on the mound or don't have a ton of confidence in more than your top couple of guys. Yeah, J.D. Ortega does such a great job with the Miami pitchers and, and has for, for several years there and um, they're piecing it together but but they're doing a, a good job of it and um, they're doing it. This is a, I'm not surprised that Miami has has built to, to this point uh, they've been bringing in some solid recruiting classes. Uh, Gino Damari was the recruiting coordinator before he was promoted to head coach after Jim Morris's retirement. And, you know, there has been talent coming, uh, you know, building depth at Miami. Uh, it's never an easy proposition, uh, but they, they've done a good job of, of building some depth on the mound. And finally, they're, they played a ton of freshmen a year ago. And uh, much like we've talked about before with Arizona State, uh, you know, eventually that that pays off. It's hard at the time, but it does pay off. And I think you're seeing the results of that for the Hurricanes right now. They check in at number 23 this week. At number 24 is Missouri. Uh, the Tigers we, we mentioned earlier swept South Carolina this weekend. They improved a 30-15-1. and They are 10-10-1 in the SEC. Dave, they're doing this a lot. On their pitching, which is something Steve Beezer has been known for throughout his career, both at, at Mizzou and, and Southeast Missouri State, uh, where he coached Joey Lucchese, among others. How impressive has their pitching been, or how good has their pitching been, and, and, and how impressive is it that Mizzou has stuck together? Uh, they are appealing their their decision, but they, they were dealt a, that NCAA decision, but they were dealt a pretty big blow just a couple weeks before opening day. Uh, with the when, when they were declared ineligible for the postseason. They are currently eligible. This is important to note. They're eligible because the appeal because of the appeal. 
uh, and the appeal is the NCAA process on that. It's not expected to be wrapped up before Selection Monday, which will make the Tigers eligible for the postseason this year. We'll see what happens with that appeal ultimately. But this year we are expecting them to be eligible because that appeal will not be heard. But Dave, I mean, just how impressive has it been that, that Mizzou has been able to to stick together and not fall apart while they've been going through all that they've been going through? Well, I'm not so sure that all that the allegations that came down might not have brought them closer together as a program, as a team. And they've rallied off of that. It's unfortunate. I understand. I don't ever believe in people doing uh, wrongdoings, but it's unfortunate that the allegations are, are prior to probably any of these players ever walking on campus at Missouri, that they're being, that they, had a chance to be affected by. And, and I hope that, that whatever comes down about that comes after this team uh, gets to the postseason. But it, it's been about their pitching. It's purely about their pitching. Uh, Coach Beezer's obviously done a good job of keeping that team together. Fred Corral, who, who handles the pitching staff, has done a good job. You know, their starting rotation is not, you know, TJ Sikma's having a good season. Uh, their Friday guy, Jacob Cattleberry, is you know, he matches up a lot against some of the Friday starters, so his numbers aren't quite as good. But overall, it's been, when I looked at them, when I looked at their numbers, it's been a cumulative of their bullpen has really saved them tremendously. And, you know, Ian Bedell, their closer, is having a good year. Connor Ash coming out of the bullpen is having a good a good season for them. And, and Cameron Dool, I'm not sure, it's either Dooley or Dool or Dooley, is doing a good job coming out of the bullpen. Their numbers are fabulous. 296 overall as a pitching staff, but even better in SEC play at 263. And in SEC, teams are only hitting 214 off of them. It's the low 200s overall, but it's their strikeouts to walk. They're three to one, and they're getting the job done. The thing that concerns me a little bit about Missouri, even though they've got the great pitching, is their record is fabulous at home, like many programs. And they struggle when they go on the road. And that's what they're going to have to do over the next three weeks. And that's, and they go into the tournament. So they're going to have to find a solution to do better. But it's purely been about their pitching staff. They're getting some timely hitting, obviously. And it's not like their hitting is horrible. But it has been purely about the pitching staff. And, again, I, I know Fred Corral on a personal basis. I'm really happy for him. He's bounced to some programs. was previously at Georgia a few years ago. I'm happy for him that that he's found a home and he's making a big impact and helping uh, Coach uh, Beezer uh, really get that program going. And, and, you know, when you look at the big scope of things, Missouri, at the, it's, it's probably the smallest stadium and the, the most glamorous stadium in the SEC. It really is fabulous to see what they're doing in, in the powerful SEC. And, and again, this year it's, it's been about their pitching staff and they're tough to go up against. And it's going to be very interesting to see, them going on the road this weekend in a big matchup to kind of solidify maybe that third, that third spot in the SEC East um, coming up this weekend when they travel up here to Knoxville. Yeah, this weekend, probably not a whole lot of runs going to be scored uh, with Missouri and Tennessee going at it. I, I also think it's been very interesting how Missouri has been able to do this uh, without much production from Cameron Misner uh, during SEC play, especially. Um, you know, he's He's a preseason All-American. He's a potential first-round pick, and he has really been scuffling at the plate. But Mizzou has been able to overcome that in large part because they just pitch it at such a high level that their uh, their offense is, uh, you know, they, they don't have to score a whole lot of runs for them to win games. So 
Missouri has been impressive, and, and you know it's just been a, a strange sprain in Columbia, but they're they're looking uh, they're looking good right now for the postseason. We'll see how they finish out these final three weeks of the SEC regular season. Following Missouri into the rankings at number twenty-five is BYU. The Cougars are leading the West Coast Conference. They're twenty-nine and ten overall. Uh, 13 and five in the WCC, and they've put together just a, a nice solid year. And I feel like this BYU team is a little different uh, than the profile of what we kind of expect from a BYU team. When you play at the altitude that they do there uh, in Utah, uh, you know usually you, you see some significant power numbers. But as a team, they've only hit 27 home runs, which isn't a small amount, but it's also not that many considering the altitude. And they're slugging 409 again good but not not really great uh what they do though is they pitch at a much better level than some of the byu teams in the past i feel like in the, in the past byu has often had like a big time ace at the front uh but they they have a lot of depth this year and and uh joe wrote about byu maybe a month ago now uh you can check that out over at baseballamerica.com and uh you know joe did a good job outlining just how much depth they have in their in their pitching staff, Easton Walker has been a revelation. He started the year in the bullpen. They had to put him in the rotation. He was so good. And, and they have they go pretty deep, uh, it, just in terms of guys they they can trust and and guys they can count on. And I think they do a good job of of not not issuing issuing too many free passes, which again is going to be important. If you're going to be playing at altitude, uh, you know that that's you don't you don't want to be just giving away base runners. But this is also a team. That's just done a good job in what is a really solid conference this year. We talk about how the Big West is down. Well, the West Coast Conference is not. And I, I think that when you when you look at a BYU team leading the West Coast, um, you know the, it, it's been pretty impressive right now. Uh, they've been able to to sweep some series. Uh, they had last weekend or this weekend they, they they swept at Pacific. A week ago they won a series at Washington. Uh, which was a really nice road series win for them. And they're up to number 32 in RPI right now. And uh, we'll, we'll see how they finish. But right now, as it stands, they're looking good for a postseason bid. But uh, they they, uh, they have a chance to to put together a, a really nice season and, and already uh, are, are doing so as close out the month of April here. Joe, uh, just because you, you had dove a little deeper into BYU uh, recently, is, is there anything else you wanted to mention about the Cougs? No, well, I guess just that you mentioned the, the the pitching depth there being a kind of a cut above what a what you'd expect and 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 b compared to a lot of what other WCC teams are going to be able to do when they come to BYU to play games there. I guess I will admit, if I'm being honest, that I thought it might drop off a little bit, and I thought that we might see okay, this is a kind of a, a neat little story now that they're pitching really well and that sets them up well, so on and so forth. But I kind of expected to look up a month later and see that they kind of come back to the pack. And, and to your point, they they really haven't. Um, that's still kind of a calling card for them. And, and I noticed it with, with Easton Walker, who at the time I wrote the story hadn't given up an earned run. He, he has now, but that's because he's been starting. So um, just really impressive what they've been able to do in, in a situation, as you alluded to, that, that's not always the easiest uh, easiest trick to pull off. So BYU in at number 25, uh, and they're trying to get back to regionals for the first time in, uh, in a couple of years as well. So uh, they're, they're the team to, to watch right now in the WCC, but that race is, is very tight, and uh, I expect it will go down to the wire. 
that brings us to our shout outs where we highlight players, programs, coaches, whoever. Um, Joe likes to, to have a little more fun with it, uh, go off the wall. We highlight people that, uh, that we haven't gotten to on the podcast but are worthy of mentions uh, for, from the last weekend. So, Dave, why don't you start us off? What, what do you have this week? Well, first off, I want to start off by congratulating uh, Patrick Rady at Vanderbilt. He, uh, I want to, I want to be accurate. I, I believe he tied the school record for most wins in a career. Uh, Patrick, out of here, out of Knoxville, out of Farragut High School, and I know Patrick personally, and I want to congratulate him. Just a, a superior young man, and obviously he's had a great year at Vanderbilt and continues to to put up big numbers. From a team perspective, uh, would like to congratulate Fresno State. Uh, I saw them earlier in the year when they came into Knoxville, played Tennessee. They were scuffling a little bit. When I talked to Coach Batesall, um, he really liked his team. Uh, like most coaches, they got out of, you know, explained, they got out of the gate slow because of weather, but he really thought they had a good team. Right now, uh, they're leading the, the Mountain West and, and having a good year. Um, also want to congratulate Cal Poly, who's leading the Big West. We talk a lot about UC Santa Barbara. We talk a lot about, about UC Irvine. Now, Cal Poly still has to play both Irvine and Santa Barbara, but they're leading the Big West right now at 10-2. and two. And I know there's a lot of people around the country and a lot of people probably on the committee right now that are cringing about that because if that ends up staying like that, that means the Big West in a down year could possibly have three three teams that come out of that conference or that could hurt one of those teams that finished in second or third. So congratulations to Larry Lee and Cal Poly. And then again, we talked about it earlier. Um, congratulations to the Baylor Bears leading the Big 12 right now, going into Fort Worth and, and sweeping uh, TCU in a big weekend that really elevated them as we head down the stretch. Um, but congratulations to, to all those. And, you know, just to make another note, we, we, we talked about it a lot, but, uh, not only a congratulations to Jake Mangum, but thank you for what you've brought to college baseball because it's been, it wasn't fun to compete against you when I was on the other side, but it's been very fun to watch what you've accomplished throughout your career. And I know there's still a lot more to go throughout the rest of the season. So more of a thank you than a congratulations even. All righty, Joe, uh, what do you got for us? Uh, Teddy, as the, as the guy on this, on this podcast with the journalism school degree, um, is it a conflict of interest if, hypothetically, if a writer accepts the giveaway at the stadium that they're giving away? So I think that this depends. So I would say just no, but like you're fine. Uh, I have done so before. Okay, great. Uh, well, good. So now I don't have to do that pretend thing where I'm like, well, I definitely did not take, <laughs> but... Uh, Indiana University was having Superhero Day at the park at Bart Kaufman Field yesterday, and they had these capes, these Indiana University capes that have like a little Velcro piece in the front, and you could wear it like a like a superhero cape. I thought it was kind of a cool, or you could turn around and use it as a bib, which actually might be the better application for it. So I just thought it was kind of a neat giveaway. I said as a joke to one of the uh, one of the uh, game day uh, workers there about whether or not the, uh, I told him I was asking for a friend if, if those were just for fans or if they were for people uh, who were working at the game and, and um, you know, they, they went and got one for me. So it was very nice of them, but uh, just kind of a neat giveaway on, on a more serious note, kind of a cool giveaway that, that IU did there. I thought it was a, a great way to kind of get the kids involved in the game. It, it, you know, that there were a lot of kids out on their outfield berm that were playing. You could tell they were playing like pretend superhero games, which is just kind of a cool thing to thing to see out at the park. So very, very wholesome entertainment there. 
Real quick thing, just one sentence. I saw on Twitter, well, it's going to be more than one sentence. I've already got off track. But I saw on Twitter, Indiana State, uh, periodically they'll kind of throw back and show pictures of Larry Bird having played Indiana State baseball for that brief period of time. In the Indiana State uniforms, I'd invite you to go back and look at Indiana State's baseball Twitter. The uniforms are fantastic. What are we doing? Why are the Sycamores not wearing these all the time? That's all I have on that. A couple quick shout-outs. Uh, for the Southland Conference, uh, ind- individuals in the Southland Conference, um, Bernie Martinez, a pitcher for Incarnate Word. I remember seeing him kind of uh, when I was doing the Southland preview, looking back at him, and he, he just had a really nice career for them, and that has continued. Uh, he has 17 appearances, most of them out of the bullpen, 15 of 17 in relief, and he's thrown 56 and two-thirds innings. So we're talking about a real workhorse here. ERA of 111. Uh, for a Incarnate Word team that is very much improved, I, I kind of am kicking myself in the in the preseason preview. I wanted to move Incarnate Word higher. I think I had him picked fifth or sixth, and which I felt was pretty aggressive already. And I kind of wanted to move them higher up towards third or fourth. And I wish I had because they are now currently tied for third in the conference with the Central Arkansas Bears. And so I wanted to shout out Cody Davenport. Cody Davenport's a a right-hander, right-hand starter who I saw back in 2016 at the Southland Tournament. He threw a gym in the Southland Tournament. And I remember thinking, this guy's going to be a fun kid to watch as he as he gets better. He was just a freshman at the time. But his career has kind of been pretty – he's taken a circuitous route to being one of the best starters in the Southland again. His sophomore year, his ERA was above six. Uh, last year, it was pushing four and a half. Uh, this year, though, in 11 starts, he has a 153 ERA uh, and 76 and a third innings pitched. Uh, and Central Arkansas also tied for third place in the Southland Conference. Obviously, they had a big sweep against Sam Houston State a couple weekends ago. So a couple little uh, Southland Conference items there for you. So I want to mention Navy, first of all. The midshipmen this weekend, I believe, became the first team in the country to clinch a regular season title. They went 3-1 and one on the weekend, and that combined with Holy Cross winning its series against Army, who I probably talked about glowingly last week. I, I don't honestly remember. I know I wrote glowingly about Army last week. Anyway, Navy wins the, the Patriot League as a result. They're done with their Patriot League schedule. The Patriot League schedule continues next week, and then they move into their conference tournament. They're one of the conferences that wrap up early, which gives the midshipmen an edge on, on becoming the first to, to win the the uh, the title, but they got it done. Uh, they have won five straight regular season Patriot League titles, and uh, they now earn home field advantage for the Patriot League tournament. Uh, it will be interesting to see how that one plays out, and I don't know how many uh, teams are going to be rooting for Navy in that tournament, however, because I don't know how many teams are going to be wanting to face Noah Son in the NCAA tournament. He was spectacular again this weekend. He struck out 15 in a seven-inning shutout, uh, gave up just four hits against Lehigh. So Navy uh, becomes uh, your your Patriot League champion this weekend. I also want to mention Coppin State, which swept Maryland Eastern Shore to improve to 24-17 and on the season and set the program record for wins. Coppin State had traditionally been a cellar dweller in the MEAC the last two years. Last year, they tied the program record. This year, they have already surpassed that record. They are winning the MEAC North Division. Uh, they're they're going to be looking to, to try and take that next step now and get to a regional. Uh, we will see how that transpires over the next couple of weeks. I also want to mention Lyle Lynn uh, at Arizona State. This weekend, I spent, uh, I spent it in, in Seattle watching uh, Washington and Arizona State. And ultimately, in a losing effort on Saturday, Lyle Lynn, coming off the bench, hit two home runs and a double 
quite the quite the finish to the game for for Lyle Lynn, and it earned him a start on Sunday when he where he continued to hit the ball pretty hard. You know, he's uh, he's been an important player for Arizona State in the past. Kind of has gotten a little bit lost this year trying to break into that lineup with Sam Ferry uh, at catcher and Eric Tolman as a DH. Hard to hard to get Lyle Lynn some. It's been hard to get him some consistent at bats, uh, but he did his best this weekend, especially there on Saturday, uh, to to earn them and and very nearly won the game for Arizona State. So that brings us to the end of of this week's uh, college baseball content here on the podcast. Uh, we have plenty more on the website and will throughout the week. There will be a new updated projected field of 64 on Wednesday. Uh, and we'll have uh, plenty of other stuff to keep you busy. So make sure to check that out over on BaseballAmerica.com. Looking ahead to next weekend, uh, we have you know, some more big series. Uh, the SEC West supplies us with another blockbuster with Mississippi State traveling to Texas A&M. Uh, we've got Oklahoma State going to Oregon State. And we've got, uh, we've got Arizona State hosting UCLA. Uh, that, that should be a fun matchup of styles. UCLA has the best ERA in the country, probably the best pitching staff in the country. Arizona State probably has the best lineup in the country. So that should just be fun to see who wins out in that matchup. And then uh, the in the Missouri Valley, uh, Indiana State and Illinois State are tied for first place. They meet this weekend in normal. And uh, you got FAU and Southern Miss going at it in a, a battle of the, the top two teams in Conference USA. So kind of across the country, we've, we've got some fun stuff. This coming weekend, it's also we're getting into finals. Uh, so if there are uh, there are any players listening, make sure you're doing your studying. Don't want to uh, miss the final few weeks of the season. Dave, did you ever have to deal with that? No, I did not, luckily. That is very good. So be like Dave's former players, everyone, and, and do your studying. Don't and, uh, you know, hit, hit your grades for this semester. Uh, we will be back here on the Baseball America College podcast next week to talk about uh, mostly those series, maybe also finals, who knows. Uh, and so I would encourage you to, if you haven't done so already, to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app, uh, be that iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you're listening. And if you can rate and review the podcast as well, that helps other people to find it. So make sure you do that. And we will be back here next week to talk more about college baseball with you. So for Joe and for Dave, I've been Teddy Cahill. Thank you for listening. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.